You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. I uh, hope you all have a Happy New Year. We are here uh, just a couple of days before the end of 2022. I hope you're getting to spend some time with friends and loved ones. Maybe a little downtime, maybe getting to do some hunting. We're now at that time of year where, for many of us, the best of hunting season is kind of behind us. There are lots of good opportunities to be had with late season hunting for sure. But if you're like me, your mind is already drifting into next season. You're thinking about scouting this off season, thinking about finding sheds, mentally processing the highs and lows of this year. One of the things that I like to do this time of year is to take a real honest inventory of my hunting. Like, what did I do that worked? What didn't work? Where did I fail? Where did I find the kind of success that I was looking for? How happy am I with the place that I hunt, the properties that I hunt, the way that I hunt? If I didn't have the kind of season I want to have, what needs to change next year so that next year is better than this year? Well, for many of those changes we need to make, the time to make them or begin working towards them is now. And that's true for a lot of things. We've got an episode coming up where I'm going to break down my strategy for this year and kind of weigh the pros and cons and talk about changes that I'm making for next year. Uh, I'm going to have my buddy Pierce on to talk about his strategy and what he's going to change for next year. But this is also true for the ground on which we hunt. In this episode, I'm talking with Sam Billhorn of Whitetail Partners. And Whitetail Partners is a land consulting company that specializes in helping you establish and execute a habitat and hunting plan for your property. You'll learn more throughout this conversation, but if you're looking for a little help on your property, then you need to give Sam a call. Sam is based in Wisconsin, 
But the Whitetail Partners team has regional professionals to service Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, and uh, hey, yours truly here in Georgia. You're going to hear in this episode that I've actually teamed up with Whitetail Partners here in Georgia. We'd love to talk more with you about your land and how we can help you reach your hunting goals on your property. In this episode, though, we cover a lot of the basics of habitat management. We talk about bedding, we talk about food plots, we talk about directing deer travel, and we even cover where a lot of these concepts come into play for the public land hunter. Yes, as a guy that hunts public, there is less you can do to manipulate your land and influence deer movement, but that doesn't mean there's nothing that you can do. And a lot of what habitat managers try to do is replicate what we see already occurring in nature and replicate those things that influence deer behavior so that we can enjoy better hunting. I think you're going to walk away with a lot of good stuff from this episode, so buckle up. If you want to find more from Sam, you can follow him on Instagram at whitetail underscore partners. You can find him on Facebook as well or his website, whitetailpartners.com. I'll have links for all those things in the show notes of this episode, but a couple of things we need to get to before we get to the conversation with Sam First of all, be sure to follow along with me on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer or at the Wisconsin Sportsman. That is the best way to get a hold of me if you want to suggest topics, if you want to suggest guests, if you want to ask questions uh, or have things that you'd like me to explore on the show. That's the best way to do it. I'm looking forward to getting into some postseason scouting and work and sharing that on my social media pages here soon. Please go subscribe to this podcast wherever you usually get it. Leave me a review if you can. A written review is even better. New subscribers and new reviews really make the algorithms happy, which means more folks find this content that we're pushing out, which in turn makes me really happy. And as you're listening to this episode, if you dig it, if you find it beneficial, take a screenshot of it, post it on Instagram, tag me in it, I'll share it. That lets me know that folks are finding this information that we're putting out on this podcast helpful to them. Speaking of finding this podcast useful, one thing I would love to do during the offseason is start to share some of your stories. This podcast is all about learning to be better deer hunters, and we can all learn from each other's experiences, whether successes or failures in the deer woods. So if you had a successful season and you want to share the story, or if you consider your season a pretty massive flop and you want to share the story of what happened, reach out to me. I'd love to have you on the show and learn from you and your experiences chasing these animals that we all love. Now it's time to highlight some of our partners. First of all, Tacticam. They are the title sponsor of this show. They are the makers of the best point of view cameras for outdoorsmen. Their 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras help you capture your memories from the field so that you can relive them like you're right back in the moment and so that you can share them with family and friends or on YouTube or on Instagram or whatever you want to do. Their new 6.0 camera features 4K 60 frame per second footage up to 8x zoom, a touchscreen display, and one-touch operation, and all of this comes in a compact, durable, waterproof package. They also just released their Solo Extreme camera that gives you all the features you love from your other Tacticam cameras like one-touch operation, HD footage, and a sleek waterproof housing, but all of that in a more budget-friendly option. You can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products like their mounts and adapters that I love over at Tacticam.com. Pick one up today and start sharing your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. They are making durable, comfortable, really really warm camo without the sticker shock this year i've been wearing the tarnin pattern and i have not been picked off in a tree a single time whether i'm hunting in alabama georgia or in wisconsin if you're hunting in an area where you've got a lot of snow you need to go check out their snow camo pattern it is absolutely phenomenal you should also go take a look at their packs they are in my opinion some of the best out there for the mobile hunter and are unbeatable at their price point go check them out at huntworth gear Next up, Deer Lab. They are the number one app for hunters and land managers. 
DeerLab helps you store, organize, and analyze your trail camera intel so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck now that we head into the late season or as you track them on into next year. Go check out their website, DeerLab.com, to learn more about all their awesome features and sign up for their 30-day free trial. When you're ready to purchase, you can use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, to get 20% off of any of their plans. And last but certainly not least, the tool that I use more than any other, this episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and a ton of tools that help you hunt smarter. With the most recent update, you can now have Onyx on your Apple CarPlay. I unfortunately cannot take advantage of that because I've got a cruddy old vehicle, but hey, if you've got one that does have Apple CarPlay, then this is for you. This is going to make scouting from the road a whole lot easier. This is going to make looking for permission a whole lot easier. This is going to make finding new public ground a whole lot easier. If you're not already using Onyx, I really don't know what to tell you at this point. You need to go give them a try. You can try it free for seven days. Just go look for them on the app store of your choice, or you can go check out more at onyxmaps.com. Now let's get into this episode talking habitat management and hunting design with Sam Billhorn. Joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is my buddy Sam Billhorn from Whitetail Partners. How's it going, Sam? Awesome, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I've had you on my other show a number of times at this point, uh, I think three or so. And looking forward to doing that more in the future. But uh, your first time on here, and I realized a topic that we haven't talked much about um, on this show specifically is whitetail land. You know, what what do we do with the hunting properties, the properties that we, that we hunt, that we spend our time on, uh, whether we lease ground, whether we own the property, whether we've just got permission, maybe we can manipulate it a little bit. Uh, we do spend a lot of time talking tactics. We spend a lot of time talking strategy, not a lot of time talking about the land. So as we jump in here, Sam, why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown of who you are, what Whitetail Partners is, and kind of the services that you guys provide. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Josh. Uh, so Whitetail Partners is a company that started four years ago and kind of developed out of my passion for habitat and land management and really developing the hunt uh, year round. So we... I and we look at uh, look at deer hunting as a, a year-round activity. You know, we we talked off air just for a moment there ago that I'm already planning next year's hunt, uh, and really that's what it's all about. With private land, we have that opportunity, be it with land that we own and can fully uh, manipulate, or even on permission land, and we do some more minor things to influence uh, what's already going on uh, in the deer's uh, deer's world. You know, so. We want to get after that and uh, work to uh, turn things in our favor where we can. A lot of it is about influencing deer movement, uh, making more predictable patterns and and, uh, process. You know, every property we look at is to evaluate it, to create that flow and that movement throughout the property. The consulting, the Whitetail Partners, our primary business is Habitat Consulting, which is developing plans for landowners to do these things I'm talking about, to help them set up their property to hunt more predictably, more successfully, uh, and and be that whatever they need it to be. Every landowner is different and every plan is different. Uh, we're going to you know, work with people, whether they're uh, you know the diehard bow hunter or the weekend uh, firearm hunter, and we're going to, you know, bring all these strategies to them to help them develop a plan uh, that could be with private land, uh, permission land. 
and I know you have a lot of listeners here with public land uh, to help uh, them look at a piece of public ground and, and how they can hunt it more successfully. So our consulting may not be uh, on the property evaluating it there, although we've done that. Uh, but it's about talking about how they're how they approach that property, how they're dissecting it, and whether it's private or public. Uh, those things, those uh, approaches are all the same. Yeah. So you guys have a full uh, a full suite of offerings, I guess you could say, from the uh, on the phone coaching. Uh, or it could be a digital plan, or it could be an on-site consultation as, as uh, fully orbed as, as people want it to be. You've got something for, for pretty much everybody. Yeah, that's right. And I appreciate you teeing that up there. It's uh, exactly right. We, it, it may be some very basic beginnings of the coaching sessions. We do like online Zoom meetings so we can pick apart a piece of property looking at Onyx or satellite images or all these other the different uh, softwares we have to uh, approach a piece of property. Um, the virtual design is that to the next level. It's looking at what is that property now and what can it be? So if we have the opportunity to do habitat improvement on the land, uh, we set that up and give some instruction and develop a plan. And I've referenced this a couple times just to explain to the listeners when I say a plan, what that means is we have a blank slate of a piece of property and we're going to go in there and, uh, lay out all the features we want to uh, have impact on. So that could be travel, that could be uh, bedding, food plots, you know, all the normal things you think of, but then even some things as simple as, uh, or, you know, as important as I'll say, uh, hunter access. How do we get to a stand? What is the approach? Uh, sometimes those things are a little bit unconventional uh, that someone might think of from their standard practices. A lot of times all we're doing is bringing a new idea to the table of, the same way, you know, somebody's done something the same way time and time again, and we're coming in there and saying, maybe here's a different angle on it, a different way to approach something. And, uh, and often that's what we're doing, even just on those coaching or virtual consults. Uh, when it comes to the on-site part, that's more full in-depth where we get to do all that with the hands-on approach of going and looking at the land, the topography, the habitat, the locations we're going to do all these developments and uh, see it firsthand and explain to them while we're there, this is what we want this area to be. This is the purpose it serves and all those things we want to accomplish across the landscape. Yeah. So when it, when it comes to your average hunting property, let's say, I mean, you guys have a little bit of something for everybody. When it comes to the average hunting property, um, what's maybe the, the, well, let's call it the starting point per, for improvement. Like what's the most common thing that you see, like, man, if, if this property would just change this thing, mm-hmm. their hunting would be so much better. Is there a consistent theme across the board? Well, it, it may come as a, I guess maybe not a surprise to some, but it's pressure. You know, I mean, the, the hunting pressure on a land, uh, on a, a piece of property, oftentimes is so much greater uh, than uh, somebody realizes. And that could be twofold. It's their route they take to and from their hunting setup. Um, as well as their impacts on stand, be it scent or sound or some of these other things that we look at uh, when they're when they're in their hunting, and also that footprint that that leaves for hours, days, weeks uh, once they've been in the in the timber, uh, what that looks like. Um, so that that's usually the low hanging fruit, I would say, is is the access uh, hunter decisions that, that people, you know, what, what is the decision-making process look like? A lot of times we'll talk about each 
stand location and talk about, is this a, a morning and evening, uh, all day, uh, you know, what type of a set is this? You know, what conditions do we go in? All those sort of things to evaluate when is the right time to hunt something versus, uh, you know, maybe their traditional route of how they walk to that stand when they hunt it and, and the impact they have when they leave. Yeah. So let's, I want to hone in on that piece of pressure real quick. And I, and I set that up cause I, I had a pretty good feeling that that was what you were going to say. Let's talk about the guy who's got 20, 30, 40, 50 acres. And he says, man, my, my neighbors, they just, they destroy it. You know, they get in there, they hunt all year long. They don't hunt well. They shoot whatever they see. I'm not convinced of my own ability with my size property to hold deer and to really influence my hunting because of all the external factors. What would you say to that guy? Well, probably starting by looking and saying, what, what do they have that they can leverage? Anytime you have a, I'll say smaller property and what you teed up there, I would, I would say is smaller in, in the grand scheme of things uh, for private land ownership is what, you know, what is the unique thing they have? And, and maybe if it's, if it's cover under certain conditions, we're very selective about when we hunt. Uh, a, a good example I like to give is of people in, in generally smaller properties that after talking with them and going through situations and, and they, they come back to me and say, I, there's half of the days I'm not hunting. And I said, yeah, I'm not surprised whatsoever because you shouldn't be if you did choose to hunt just because it worked out with your schedule or calendar or whatever. Um, you would be doing more harm than good to that property. There's, there's plenty of people that are clients that now that, that they're hunting less but killing more uh, because of how they approach that ground. And I think looking at what their highest quality factor is, uh, it, it, a lot of times that relates to cover and weather conditions uh, is going to be why and how, the how and why we are more successful with a property that's smaller. Yeah, and I, I would say that, you know, that piece of efficiency is really, really important. I mean, the hunting media these days does a really good job of highlighting the guy that's on his 67th day in a tree stand this year, and he's just grinding, and he's been living off of gas station pizza and energy drinks, and he can't You've even see straight. Oh, I've done it. Oh, yeah. And I and I like doing it, um, right. I, and I will do it again next year. But, <laughs> But I think especially when it comes to hunting smaller properties – being efficient with the property that you have is so important. And, and honestly, if you think about just general life stage, you've got kids, I've got kids, uh, our kids are younger, right? It's really important for us to be efficient with our time. You know, if I'm spending time in the woods, it needs to have maximum value mm -hmm. for me to be able to tell the wife, all right, you're on your own for these couple of days, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's yeah. huge. Yeah, and, and what's convenient about that is it's often seen in advance because it relates to weather, is looking at what are the highest quality days for a given property. And I'm not going to specify that as any one particular thing because, again, that relates to that specific property. But what are the conditions that would put you there? And be on the lookout for them. Um, and then there's other – I'll just throw out a couple other conditions um, in – in, uh, that are relevant to a lot of areas across the country would be simply what is going on uh, in agriculture? What is going on with crop harvest, with uh, you know, the influences of 
the season as things change, how, how are those things impacting your hunting land? And taking note of that, because if you have a, let's just give a simple example, a small property that's a primarily a cover, or a woodlot, I'll say, in a, you know, area that's 90 plus percent uh, ag ground that has crops on it. Well, there's a lot of cover out there in the form of corn and, and other, uh, and other crops that are going to uh, keep deer spread out. However, once that harvest occurs, then all of a sudden that small woodlot becomes just a magnet for deer and they're going to stack in there pretty good. And knowing when that happens and coinciding that with perhaps again, the weather change uh, and the right wind and some of these other things we're going to look for, uh, that's the time you're in there. And, and you can see those things coming, makes it a little bit nicer for, yes, us in the season of life where time is short. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Sam, you guys do a little bit of everything. Um, I'm curious what you would say is kind of like your bread and butter. Like I know different people in this space generally, some are your, you know, really they're all about restoration. They want it to look like, they want the land to look like it did when Lewis and Clark passed through. There are some who are the food plot guy, and that is their thing through and through. They're going to have awesome food plots that are just maximized. What would you say is kind of like your bread and butter? If if it came down, you know, if, if, if I said, hey, you get one thing to improve, what is it? Your travel, period. And, and, it, and we, we started with that, and I'll build on it in a few more ideas here. Um, and I think you gave some really good examples there. I've done posts and a lot of uh, information. By the way, I, I'm, and you know this, but I'll just say it for listenership, is uh, you know, a lot of our posts we put out there on social media are like small blog articles or little pieces of, you know, little, little articles of information. And one of the things I drive on a lot is the type of uh, land consultant to look for. And one is, is, you know, you gave that example of somebody who's maximizing food plot production and, and acreage and food plots of different types and all that. And I'd say, you know, that's, that's well and good. I, I, I'm supportive of the nutritional aspect of that, especially in some regions of the company, the co- excuse me, country, that company. And uh, supportive of that, and I think it makes sense to do that, especially if you're trying to grow a herd and some of those things. Um, and then also the restoration folks that uh, really want to uh, uh, restore the landscape. And there's many many positive qualities to, to that as well. I'm not trying to knock on either one of those, but the, as far as predictable deer hunting to bring it to that, um, I look at travel all the time and say, how do deer move across a landscape? That's really what our bread and butter is. If you want to call it that to, to look at a property and say, how are we going to dissect this? And it's looking at topography. It's looking at, where habitats interface. It's looking at food. Where's the food and cover and bedding and those things. And then also as we're creating habitat, assigning those locations where maybe that doesn't currently exist, but it can because it's the right setup for it. Um, then interconnecting that with, and when I say travel now, I'll give a couple details on that. Uh, talking uh, corridors from A to B, developing a predictable path. So you might look at a, let's just say a hillside, for example, and there's a couple different uh, deer trails, deer paths, whatever you want to call them that go across that hillside. Well, there's usually one that's a little bit more predominant and it's going to be located 
predictably in a few locations along that hillside. And we want to zero in on that and say, this is the one we really want to increase in value. Those other uh, secondary trails, we're going to work to actually unimprove them. We're going to put trees down or block them off. A lot of times you'll see hinge cutting or felling of trees to obstruct some of those uh, lines of movement. And that really defines that major trail as, as the one to be on. Um, and then there's a few other things we'll look at, pinch points and some attractions, like uh, maybe it's a box scrape or a water hole. Some of these features we're going to bring into the design that's really going to provide that opportunity at a tree stand uh, for that moment of kill that we're looking for. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. I think that that piece is huge. I don't see a lot of other folks out there who are concentrating on deer movement quite like you are. You know, they'll they'll advertise, you know, whatever, you know, little improvement they're putting on the property. But when it comes to that deer movement piece, personally, I think that's huge because as, as hunters, that's what we're keying in on out there all the time anyway. If you just take it, out into the, the public land space. So I know there are a lot of guys who are hunting on public land. Um, I primarily hunt on public land. So if, if that is your, your thing, yeah, you want to know where the deer eat, but you're not hunting there on public, on public property because That's the deer right. aren't going to make that, make it there in daylight. You want to know where the deer bed, but for most of the places where I hunt, it's not like where Dan Anfalt hunts or some other guys who are, you know, setting up 50 yards from the bed. I want to be within, you know, a, a certain radius of that bed. I want to know where the deer bed. I want to know where they're eating. I want to catch them in between. I don't mm-hmm. want to get too close to the bed and blow them out. I don't want to be too close to the food, put too much pressure on that, or possibly just never even, never even see them. Right. Right. Yeah. And so much of that is right. And, and I look at it and say, you're talking generally between these features, hundred or hundreds of yards. We, you know, there's, there's many advantages to hunting this way too, and that you can get in and out. Uh, have a repeat, repeatable setup to come in and hunt and get out again without any disturbance. Any deer that you're uh, hunting are passing by. They're not staying there. You know, these, some of these setups you hear people pinned down by a deer in a bedding area. Well, I'm not, I'm not overly interested in that. I mean, I think there's a part of the season for that, but uh, to get into being in an area where deer are simply passing through, uh, that's, I think, really a, the over the course of a full season, something to zero in on. And to your point, with public land hunters, it's the same principle. In, in that case, you're looking to discover or find that place in that naturally exists in the landscape because you're not manipulating it. Whereas on private ground, 
uh, you're, you are also looking for it, but then can influence it to make it that much better. Much like I just described before, you know, the several deer paths along a hillside, uh, trying to uh, neck that down to one that is used more predictably. Yeah. And, and one of the things we talked about when uh, I had you on my other show the last time, the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast, we hit on what a lot of what we're trying to do is replicate what's already happening in nature. Right on. And, and that's with, and we've talked a lot here now about travel uh, and, and scouting that and finding it and hunting it. But really all of these things are that way. You know, you could say to mox or to scrape. We, everyone uh, that is out there scouting, that's one of the things they're looking for is what is the current scrape activity? Well, on public land, you're, you're trying to discover that, find it, hunt it or hunt nearby it. Uh, and, and take advantage of those situations. Whereas in public or excuse me, in private land, you're going in there and uh, maybe even uh, redefining the landscape to say, and, and I've mentioned this on your other show before too, is removing scrape and taking it to say, there's, this is the one where we want to hunt because of the setup, where the tree stand is, all those things, and then eliminating it in other places so that you have more, even more activity at that location you're looking for. Maybe if it's on a small kill plot, if you've got three or four places around it, they're scraping, you, re, you eliminate that branch and that spot. And, uh, you're going to see, you know, that much more activity at the one that your uh, tree stand is located on. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that I hope to do, uh, to implement this year actually on public land. So one of my favorite hunting tactics is to be in and around what I consider community scrapes, those scrapes that everything hits. It's not a field edge scrape. It's not a buck was just frustrated walking through the woods. It's multiple mature bucks end up using that scrape. Multiple doe groups are using that scrape. It is a hub of activity. I like to hunt in and around those, but I've got an area where there's a line of movement and there's a really strong presence of three or four of these within... 200 yards, 150 yards, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then there are a lot of smaller ones that are kind of off the, kind of like little spur movements off of the main line of movement. And I plan to go in during the off season and cut some of those branches (laughs) and and just see how that works. I mean, I don't, what do I have to lose? Yeah. Or put a rock down on the ground. That's another thing too, is grab a big big stone and put it right in the middle of the scrape. It's just something to frustrate them and throw them off of wanting to use that spot. Yeah. That's really good. That's right. And for those who are going to say, hey, you can't cut branches on public land. Well, you can in Wisconsin if it's under one inch. You can go listen to the episode that I did with uh, Matt Kashalik, who was our local game warden. So anyway. Thanks for covering your tracks there. Jeff. That's right. Well, I, kn- I knew that was coming. Somebody was going to say, you can't cut anything on public land. Well, you can. You just got to be careful. Anyway. Got to know your limitations. That's right. Under one inch. So I learned, I learned something today. Thanks. Jeff. There, you, there you go. There, your useless piece of information for today. Oh, um, no, that's a good one. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, and let's talk then about general principles for habitat improvement. And you've, we've kind of talked around the topic, but if I cornered you and said, Sam, I need you to give me two, three, four, five general principles for improving my property. I, you know, maybe I, maybe I don't have the time to have you out. Maybe uh, it's just not something that I'm interested in. What are you going to tell me just as far as like, what can I begin to do to kind of maximize my property? Well, I've touched on a lot of the hot buttons already, but uh, 
to bring some more angles to it, I'd say for, so for access, for example, um, first of all, the simple thing is look at how you're currently accessing your stands and saying, is there a less impactful way to the habitat that I can get to that stand? Uh, think beyond what you've already done. And in terms of that, as what I mean is, can you get to your property boundaries, for example, a different way? Is there a neighbor where you could get walk-in permission from that side of which you've never entered before because, uh, it's, just never thought to ask the guy. And I think that's a simple one. One of the discovery processes we go through and talk with clients is just, you know, looking at every single property boundary and say, how can you get to here? Um, and, you know, finding out that all along they could have walked in from that direction. They just never have because, well, obviously you park the truck here and you walk in. Well, there's, when it comes to hunting, looking at that from a different perspective, is important and will save that pressure on your land. So I, the, the number one thing is pressure. I think we have to give a few tips there. That would be a, that'd be a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, one, one yeah. thing I was just going to hit on that, um, you know, my buddy Dan Johnson talks about a lot. He's, he's been on this show and talked about it as well. Um, and Tony Peterson as well has even said the same thing. <clears throat> when we talk about hunting pressure, we're typically talking about other people. You know, we're, we're not talking about ourselves as hunting pressure. We shake our fist at, at the hunting pressure that's out there, not us. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but what, what you're alluding to there with this whole access piece is that we are hunting pressure and we have to make sure to take our own pressure into account on our property and try to keep it as fresh as possible and non-obtrusive as possible. Yeah, another uh, way I would give, and this is a tool that I use to show people is um, draw on your property, maybe just take a print out of it and highlight but where your sight, sound, and scent covers during a hunting season. And, you know, physically draw your route and, okay, well, where's the scent going with that? And you know, all these things I could elaborate, but you kind of get the idea. And pe- most people realize that it is 100% of their property is somehow impacted by those three things sometime during the hunting season. Well, my question simply is how can you reduce that? You know, my goal, at least on an access standpoint, this doesn't necessarily bring in uh, sight, sound, scent, but it's the physical ground you're covering. I don't ever want to be on more than 20% of my property if I can avoid it. And that's a typical, I'll call it design methodology or design tenant is to say we want to have the least amount of ground that we cover as possible. Yeah, that's really, really good. That's really good. So I want to pick up and talk about something you, you briefly touched on earlier and want to kind of hear the difference setting up a property for firearms hunting versus setting up a property for the avid, avid, very active archery hunter you know, we, you're in Wisconsin, you got what a nine day gun season. So even if a guy's out there hunting, uh, for the firearm season, he's not going to be out there very long. Um, but if a bow hunter gets out there, he can be there from September, uh, depending on where he's at, he could be through the middle or end of January potentially. Mm -hmm. So how do those things differ when you're setting up a property for, you know, a group of gun hunters, as opposed to, uh, an archery hunter? Sure. Great question, and I'll tie it into two. You asked just a minute before, just general design things, and I'll throw, I'll throw these together as to say, one of the things I'm going to look at for any circumstances 
what is the limiting factor on a habitat standpoint? You know, what is, and this, this pertains to different parts of the season. So um, we'll use rifle hunting generally later season, after the rut. Um, and I'm speaking now specifically Wisconsin. I don't know. Every state is a little different how this plays out. Um, but, you know, the, the rifle seasons being a little bit later, um, and, and if they are after the rut, particularly food sources, for example, become pivotal. Um, and also uh, having thermal cover, having good cold weather cover uh, on a property, uh, both of those things are really important in those later season hunts. Well, if we're specifically looking at a property for that, call it gun hunter or more later season uh, hunter, those are things we're going to pick up on. And, you know, a bull hunter, we might look at the full gamut of the season and try and improve different things in different times of the season. But specifically, what is your, you know, the, the hunt you're going to zero in on? And, and maybe it's that full season that you want to have different opportunities. But food and thermal cover are, are two examples I would give for the later season that we want to make sure we get right. You know, I, I've had a few posts recently to say, you know, if you don't have food, you maybe you shouldn't be hunting late season, you know, from the standpoint of having the control, I would, I would uh, parallel that though to uh, public land to say, you know, again, you maybe don't have the food there, but if you're adjacent to it, you do in a way, you know, you're hunting that natural circumstance that exists uh, in that public land setting for that bow hunter. Maybe it's, I'll I'll use the pre-rut. This is a time I love to talk about. It's my favorite part of the season. Uh, And I'll say, you know, that's a time, when in the whitetails world and especially bucks, they're laying down a lot of sign. We talked about mock scrapes, a little bit on water holes and especially travel is this is where deer are covering more and more miles to mark where they, you know, to mark their presence, uh, make themselves known to other bucks and does. And it's during that time where you have a much higher priority on, quality travel routes interconnected from bedding areas that you're going to have more chances for success in that pre-rut time frame, which uh, generally is going to correlate with uh, a bow season hunter and some of his prime time uh, to be in the woods. This episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. This episode is brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com now for your free 30-day trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to purchase, you can use the code WISCONSIN, all caps, at checkout for 20% off of any of their plans. So let's let's shift just a little bit here. You know, there may be some guys that are saying, "Hey, I don't I don't own property, but I would like to one day." In fact, I bet if I polled a hundred listeners of this show that do not own property, 
98 of them would probably say, I would like to, and one day I aspire to. One of the things that you do and that you help your clients with is evaluating a property pre-purchase, right? Before they make that huge investment, potentially, I mean, for a lot of these guys, the biggest investment of their life, you know, Mm -hmm. these properties are more expensive than their homes a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to walk a guy through? Like, what are some of the things that go into that decision, uh, whether or not to buy a property? Because having been in and around that process, it can become very emotional very quickly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you go to a property and you fall in love with it immediately and you can't let it go, even if it's not, even if it's not going Mm -hmm. to be the property that you don't want or that you want it to be. So can you give us anything to keep us out of the emotional state and able to make objective decisions if we go and look at properties? Well, you said that so well, and it's true. I mean, it happens to all of us if we're wanting to move on something. Um, yeah, the, the pre-purchase checklist is something that is, in my mind, a pivotal process for anybody that wants to buy land uh, to go through and understand. It's not complicated, but every single one of these points, you know, any one of them might be this aha moment for somebody to say, oh, my goodness, I, I didn't think of that. You know, um, just a couple random ones, for example, like an, an easement. Is there an easement through the middle of your property to get to the next property? And that there's going to be a landowner, your neighbor, that's going through your property all the time. Um, that, you know, a simple thing like that to understand and take in and know the impacts of it, um, that's one of 60 uh, that we look at to say how, how are the different ways a property might be good or bad for hunting. And, you know, I will say this, there is, there isn't a perfect property. There, there's, there isn't one that exists. Uh, you know, and, and if so, it's probably inefficient, I'll say, and that you had to buy so much acreage to check the boxes, which, uh, anyway, there's, there's mm. pluses and minuses to everything, but, um, you, you need to weigh all these things together because you're going to, uh, you know, maybe there's some things that are better on the habitat and uh, diversity side of things, but you give up some sacrifices in your accessibility and convenience and all this. Um, you know, those are, those are some of the specifics, but I should have said first, we start really, really broad with a discovery process of how good of a fit is this property for you and the others. So your family and, and all those, you know, others that are involved in the decision with some simple things like, is it close enough to home? You know, even a property that's an hour and a half away is a, that's, th- that's a three hour commitment. Even if you ever want to go out there and just pull an SD card and, you know, some simple things like that, that it's helping people understand the big pieces first. Now I would say, start with the why, why are we doing this? Why do we want to have it? What are some of the big things? And then getting into those specifics, the, how does this work for layout for a habitat design? for food plots, for hunting setups, how efficient is the property in terms of the amount of ground we have to cover in order to be able to hunt it. You know, and this could be a couple of podcasts just to cover the list and talk through it. Um, but if anyone's uh, looking at doing a property or investing in a property, uh, understanding the list is, is something that, uh, um, anyone who's done it has found a lot of value in it. It's uh, usually we do that consult just on a couple hour 
uh, Zoom meeting, conversation. We might overview a specific property, um, but whoever does that will leave that meeting with that list, uh, knowing, uh, being equipped to look at a property themselves in the future. Yeah, so it's more educational. It's not necessarily, hey, you get my yes or no on this property and then you move on. It's Mm -hmm. you're giving them the tools that they need to then move forward and make good choices. That's right. Education is a huge piece of what we're doing. We want to make sure that they're equipped to evaluate something. None of these concepts are difficult to understand, but it's, it's about looking at each of them and understanding the pluses and minuses to that decision and um, settling on it and moving forward and being, being really happy with the land purchase. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part, not only of the, uh, of pre-purchase review, but of, of all the services that you provide that Whitetail Partners provides uh, Mm -hmm. is that piece of education, right? There's so much that can go into everything that we do that to be able to walk away with that knowledge in your pocket after just a small amount of time working mm-hmm. with, with one of the, you know, local regional professionals uh, mm-hmm. is absolutely huge. And so, you know, if people think, well, I, I don't know, boy, the, the, the cost of, of having something like that done, like an on-site consultation, you've got to think of it in the years of value that you're going to get, not only from the immediate plan, but in just your own ability to look at your property and think critically about it and keep it up so that your hunting is good for years to come. Yeah. Well said the, you know, the, the land, land is a huge investment. Um, no doubting that for anybody that's uh, entering into it, but, um, and anyone who is starting into habitat, uh, improvements and land management will quickly find that there's a lot of costs in doing those things, not just in materials or, equipment to those sort of things, which certainly are there. Although I like to preach efficiency on that too and give uh, good ways to uh, do that economically, but the amount of time invested, not just in time and years of the processes taking place, but uh, in the, in the work of having, of doing the improvements, if you're signing up for this, you're likely going to be putting in a lot of hours on a property and you don't want that time to be spent uh, doing the, even the right thing, but in the wrong location. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that is probably the number one downfall. I would say that a lot of guys run into who, um, and there's nothing wrong with this, but who jump on YouTube or jump on a podcast and hear about an improvement or see an improvement being done. And then they go throw it up on their property. And next thing you know, it's not doing what it should do. And then, well, these people are crazy. You can't, you can't actually influence deer movement on the, on your property or, you know, this, this specific improvement doesn't work. Like, well, yeah, it does. There's lots of places and people who've proven that it does work. It doesn't work right there because of what could be 15 or 20 different factors that you just didn't take into account. Yeah. Disjointed improvements is what I call it is when you, you have uh, any, plan we're going to put together is not just going to have a lot of improvements on it, but each of those improvements are going to relate to the next one. And it's going to work together in a system that moves deer throughout the property. So yeah, to your point, you could have the most beautiful food plot, bedding area, you know, water hole, whatever, you know, 
mock scrapes, whatever these things are that you put out there. But if, if they aren't in a logical pattern, they could be doing, you know, more harm than good. Likely they are. Yeah. And yeah, that more harm than good piece is, is huge. Um, I just think about certain improvements that I've been involved with that end up with that uh, it, attract and disperse thing happening mm-hmm. where you suck the deer in and then your pressure blows them out. And then you suck the deer in and then your pressure blows them out. And next thing you know, you're in a lot of trouble with your property because the deer on your property are highly educated. So anything that you do from a hunting perspective at that point is kind of going to be almost doomed from the start until you get that taking the pressure off piece right. Right. Yeah, what you just described is probably 90% of the food plots I see when I'm going to a property to evaluate them, to look at them. And, and it's, uh, you know, here's the premier hunting blind right in the middle of the food plot, for example. Yeah. And that, that was another thing that I had written down here, but I hadn't found a good segue to it, but, uh, that's a good, as, as good of one as any, um, you know, food plots have gone both directions. So they've, they've won, they've been all the craze in hunting media where if you don't have a food plot, what are you even doing? You're never going to kill a big deer to nobody ever should ever, ever hunt a food plot because big deer don't use food plots. Therefore, leave them alone. Don't even bother putting them on your property. I've heard it all over the place. In fact, there was a podcast recently um, that the the title was uh, How to Hunt Food Plots, Maybe Don't, you know, or so, something along those lines. It was really good. I mean, it was, and it was a, a yeah, really good episode. They had a really good yeah. point behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And that was on the Missouri Woods and Water podcast, I believe, who's also on the Sportsman's Empire Network. So, Um, what are some of the key problems with food plots where guys aren't seeing daylight activity? Maybe they're just seeing some, some does and small bucks, or maybe it's just not being used at all. I mean, I've, I've planted food plots before that just did not see a lot of deer activity, period. What are some Mm -hmm. of the problems that you see with those? Well, we've, to not repeat ones we've already talked about, such as access, I mean, we could harp on that one all day long, but a few new ones to throw out there. One I would say is um, size. You know, food plots. Um, sometimes it's a you know getting back to that consultant that recommends these you know certain amount of food plots or whatnot. If that's their focus, their primary primary focus, um, size is a big one. Layout and, and both of those I'll say together are you know if you want to influence your movement throughout a property, the plots that we would lay out might look a whole lot different than say, a, you know, your typical, whatever, five acre bean field you might picture in your mind. Ours are going to have a lot more character to them, different products throughout them that are going to weave and wind and move, uh, you know, be more path like, uh, even within the, within the plot itself, how those products are laid out, uh, to, to move deer through the landscape and by your hunting setup. So those are a couple. Another uh, which pertains to food plots is edge feathering. A lot of times you talk about that uh, food plot that is, you know, maybe even it's, it's in the middle of the woods. Like this is a secluded place. It's great. Well, the thing I'll walk up to it and see is there's zero transition between that vertical, that high canopy uh, vertical timber, uh, that mature timber, and the food plot, it's like if you could picture, draw a picture, it's this, you know, just straight line up from the field. It's this hard vertical edge. And 
I look at that and say, well, that's enter edge feathering where you, uh, for those who aren't familiar, you're dropping some trees, maybe planting some others where you're creating this rather than vertical edge where the food plot meets cover, you're creating this stair step or the stagger of short brushy, maybe it's grasses. Uh, then you're getting up to, you know, younger trees and you're getting up to subordinate trees and then you get to your canopy and that might be 30 to 40 yards. You know, it's, it's quite a bit, but it's that edge habitat that is going to be more inviting and comfortable. They'll come from the taller cover into the shorter cover to the grass, to the food plot through that transition zone much more comfortably than they will entering from that vertical edge. Um, so maybe the food plot's great. Maybe it's the products are good, the shape and size are right, but they won't enter it because during the day anyway, because it just is, isn't natural at that vertical edge. So I guess those are a few things uh, on specific to food plots um, within the products themselves. I would say a lot of times that's so regionally specific and a lot of times it pertains to having products that are sometimes similar, but also sometimes different uh, than what they are naturally uh, having in the uh, either in their, their, browse or in the agricultural areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I, I've got to mention on the, the edge feathering piece and helping deer feel secure within the food plot. Um, we had a, a place where we lived shortly after we were married <clears throat> and it was a, it was about four acres, but we owned or we had this hillside and then I got permission to hunt the property back behind me, but I didn't really like hunting it cause I knew some other people had the ability to hunt it as well. And on our side, uh, behind our house, there was a kind of an old dim road about two-thirds of the way up the hill. And so one of my first, like, really trying to get creative with habitat improvement was uh, I planted this old dim road that ran behind our house, trying to influence the deer movement to be on my side of the hill as opposed to the other side of the hill uh, where I knew another guy liked to hunt. And um, ended up with a, a small little kill plot right there, kind of bubbling off of the side of that trail plot, what I would call it, and what I think you would probably call it as well. Right, put right. a water hole right there, put a stand up. It was beautiful. Deer season comes around. The deer are using it like crazy. It's just working fantastic. Then all the leaves fall off the trees, and you can really <laughs> clearly see my house and other houses and the road from this hardwood hillside. And the deer movement just stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the habitat changed. Yep. And you know, that that's another thing to talk about seasonal changes. I referenced before when we're you know designing perhaps for a, a hunter that's only a part of the season versus somebody who's more of the full season, uh, developing side cover that is present once the foliage is gone. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really important thing again to deer travel is to, in these travel corridors, we want to have a lot of side cover because you will uh, continue to have that travel uh, that you saw go away. You'll continue to have that if you have that side cover, be it through cuttings or plantings or both. Yeah. And I, I think in this specific spot, so I think we would have been really well off had we had just some screening to the side that our house was mm -hmm. on because to the other side, there was, there was hill. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. and it was, they had good cover from there and they kept using it at night, just not during the day. So, um, definitely should have focused more there during bow season, uh, as opposed to yeah. the firearm season. 
a great, I think that's an excellent example of uh, understanding how the cover changes throughout the season and how the deer will change with it, yep. with their activity. Yep, absolutely. So, all right, cheesy transition, Sam. Speaking of transitions, mm-hmm. uh, there have been some changes with mm-hmm. Whitetail Partners. Um, you know, there may be some folks listening who are like, okay, you're in Wisconsin. What good can you do me? Uh, why don't you walk me through some of the changes going on with Whitetail Partners and maybe what folks can look forward to in the future? Yeah, thanks a lot for that, Josh, and for the opportunity to be here. Um, you know, we, uh, I have been consulting in Wisconsin and I'll say really the greater upper Midwest area uh, myself and, and we'll continue to do that here uh, for those who need it um, and also providing virtual consults uh, uh, where needed outside of our other regional uh, partners which is uh, the expansion piece, as you mentioned. So uh, seeing what I've been doing, and you know, I'm a process guy. I have, um, in all of the consulting I do, the, the process, the steps to go through each property, to analyze a property, to develop a plan, a report, which really is more of a how-to manual on all of these things uh, for the owners. I looked at it and said, this is something that can, definitely be replicated and used by others uh, with their regional expertise, which is where I have uh, thankfully had this awesome network of people that I've uh, gotten to know, some who already had consulting businesses. Uh, But this past fall, uh, we rolled out uh, with four new uh, regional uh, experts that were uh, teamed up together now. So we have one in Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, and Georgia. Uh, that are um, that are doing uh, consulting within their region, not just the state, but the greater area of each of those states, I'll say. Uh, and that's providing their local expertise with the process and plan that we have, all these services I mentioned, the, uh, you know, the, the pre-purchase of land reviews, the virtual consulting, coaching, and then, you know, our, our, our best product, which is the on-site review uh, and, and habitat planning. Uh, all these guys have a wealth of experience. I think we had a team meeting the other week. We're adding up uh, however many years it was over a hundred, well over a hundred years of hunting experience and habitat and all these things. And we're just excited to provide this service now to more people and to have a consistent process uh, throughout uh, good products, uh, pride ourselves on these high quality plans and reports to give good deliverables to our clients. Um, uh, quality customer service, all those things. Uh, so we're on the onset of it, but I, I'm excited to see what we're going to be providing for a lot more folks this year uh, and uh, more to come in time. Yeah. How do you feel about that guy in Georgia who's who's doing this with you? I mean, you know, he he's coming along. He's coming along. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> full disclosure here, uh, Josh, we're happy to have you uh, with that and uh, your experience throughout the South and all the things. You know, and that was one of the things that I was so excited about. I am not an expert everywhere. I'm only an expert in what I, in the things I've known, the experiences I had, which are limited. And, and that's why I'm excited to have a growing team that has this experience. And really, truthfully, too, if we get into something that we don't recognize, we can rely on each other to, uh, to give from their experience and put those years together and have it be something that's really the best product for our clients, which is what we're ultimately after. We want to do things really well. Uh, and if it grows slowly, that's great. Uh, we're not trying to make it grow quickly. 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So Sam, I'm pumped to be part of the team. I, uh, it's interesting when we met, you know, I'm a bulk of my experience hunting growing up and, and, mm-hmm. and, ha, you know, doing habitat work has been in Alabama, but also mm-hmm. hunted Florida, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, you know, grew up hunting throughout the South basically. And, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. then I moved up to Wisconsin for a couple of years where we met and mm-hmm. that was a whole new world for me, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what, boy, okay, this is very. You got real deer here, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 I mean, when I, when I first started seeing some of the trails from where the yeah. deer move, it's like, oh my God, deer in the South do not create that kind of disturbance just mm-hmm. size wise. I mean, uh, there's a big yeah. difference between a 150 pound deer and a 300 pound deer and yeah. what their footprint looks like. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's huge. So, but yeah, really glad to be part of the team, uh, representing Georgia, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Sam, where can folks go if they want to find more from you or, or just learn more about the team or whether or not maybe you're serving their area at this point? Yeah, right on. Thanks. Uh, whitetailpartners.com is the website or social media, everything, just punch in uh, whitetail partners. You'll find us. Uh, each of us has a regional page. We also have the team page of uh, Whitetail Partners. That's Instagram, Facebook. Uh, it'll all get you to the website and you can find any one of us there. Uh, um, welcome uh, any form of communication. Message us, call us. Uh, we'll talk through your property, see if there's something we can do to help you out. Awesome. Well, Sam, thanks for your time. Appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to chatting again next time. It's been great, Josh, as always. Thanks, man. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at howtohuntdeer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, Deer Lab, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.